0: are in the middle of a message series entitled Letters from Heaven. And if you're just visiting with us, uh, we've been taking a look in the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. And the letters are actually mouthed and worded by Jesus Christ himself. It was a man by the name of John who began to write these letters uh, through the inspiration from Christ himself. And these are letters sent to specific geographical churches back in biblical times. However, I will tell you, theologians will tell you, that these letters are also a symbol for churches today. They're also a symbol for individuals today. So as we open these letters, there's a message not only for the churches back in that day, but also for us ourselves. And uh, before we jump into it, before we kind of just really tear open this next letter, um, it would be inappropriate for me to continue without saying Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. And, uh, you know, the truth is, as moms, they have a unique power. Um, they they gather together. If you ever notice, I mean, guys, hang with me on this. Dads, kids, you you know this. Have you ever noticed that when you ever go to another person's house, um, you'll hear a mom say the same phrase as your mom says? It's as if they've kind of collaborated across this world on specific phrases, you know, that they want to make sure that you do the right things. Like, you know, phrases like, make sure you eat all your vegetables. I mean, you hear that no matter what house you're in. Moms, they just have this ability. So what I thought I'd do is uh, put together a a fun list for Mother's Day. And uh, just so we can have a little bit of a laugh. But um, I've compiled a top ten list of the top ten things that moms would never say. You can read behind them, but top 10 things that moms would never say. So uh, without further ado, let's go to number 10. Number 10, how on earth can you see the TV sitting so far back? Probably never hear mom say that. Number nine, yeah, I used to skip school a lot too. Number eight, just leave all the lights on. It makes the house more cheery. Number seven, let me smell that shirt. Yeah, it's good for another week. Number six, go ahead and keep that stray dog, honey. I'll be glad to feed and walk him every day. Number five, well, if Raul's mama says it's okay, that's good enough for me. Number four, curfew is just a general time to shoot for. It's not like I'm running a prison around here. Number three, I don't have a tissue with me. Just use your sleeve. Number two. Don't bother wearing a jacket. The wind chill is bound to improve. And the number one thing you'll probably never hear your mama say, be sure to eat all your dessert or there's no dinner for you. Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. I hope that you have a tremendous day, and I hope those around you celebrate you for all the wonderful goodness that you bring into their lives. Um, Now, as we open up this letter, this is a letter to the church at Thyatira. And this church has a lot of cultural significance to it. We're going to dive into some of the history to it. Um, But you're going to see right away uh, where I'm going to focus on one word, and that word you're going to see soon is called permit. And it's a word that Christ is going to use to this letter. And he's going to build everything surrounding this one letter called permit. And as we tie into that, um, as many of you know, we just returned from the Holy Land, a trip. We led uh, about uh, 38 individuals to the Holy Land over the last 10 days. And we got to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and see many of the different sites. Um, One of those sites uh, is is incredible, and it's uh, the church in Bethlehem. It's actually the place where they say that Jesus Christ was born. And you can actually, as a tourist, walk into this church and you can see, see the actual spot um, and kneel and pray over it. Um, But in walking through the Holy Land, uh, this is my third time going and something has been consistent every single time. When we go to the different places, we go to the garden tomb, we go to the Southern Steps, we go to the Temple Mount, we go to all these places, um, the individuals that come on these trips with me, their eyes are opened and they are amazed and awed. And every time I ask them, what do you think? They typically say, oh, amazing, incredible. I just can't believe it. Except for one location. And that's in Bethlehem. Whenever we go to Bethlehem, when you walk into the church at Bethlehem, and I'm just going to describe it, um, this, this church is hundreds and hundreds of years old. And th- for those of you, without getting into historical significance, you might say, well, why do they have a church there? In order to preserve sacred holy spots throughout history, um, the way that you did that was you built a church because the enemy hopefully um, would respect that of religion and would not touch a church, therefore preserving a sacred space. So churches are built on the places of these holy places all over. And in Bethlehem, same thing. There is a church built over that spot and location. However, there's something different about this church. Number one, the experience, when you walk into the church, it is about as dark as you can imagine. When you walk in, it's hard to see. Very, very dingy, very dark. The walls, the roof are all covered in black. And the reason why is, is this church has used oil lamps all throughout the church. And oil lamps, over hundreds of years, they blow smoke, dark smoke. And for hundreds of years, this church has had caked on it, soot from all of this smoke covering the walls everywhere. And so it is dark. It is dingy. It is not bright. It is not cheery. And When you think of Bethlehem, if you've never been there, you think, oh, the place where Christ was born. I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. And so walking into that place, was a very different experience for our group. They waited two hours. They walked down through a tunnel into another small area where the soot was caked everywhere. And I remember walking out of that and they looked and they said, Terry, yeah, it was just, I, I, I just kind of was saddened. it wasn't what I expected. And then I heard one person say this. I just don't understand why they permit this to happen. We're going to touch on that in just a little bit. And we're going to finish the story about what's going on in Bethlehem and you'll be interested to hear it. Um, but before we do, Jesus is writing this letter to this church in Thyatira. And he, as he has done in the past few weeks, thanks to Tommy Moore for a great job f- uh, filling in for me the last couple of weeks. Um, and as Tommy has shared, Jesus is going to, Speak these words, and there's going to be an encouragement. So you're going to hear an encouragement, and then you're going to hear a challenge that he's going to have. So without further ado, Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Here we go. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Pause. Let me give you some significance here. This is the first letter in all of these letters where Jesus uses the term This is from the Son of God. Now, there is a reason, not just because he wants to let everyone know or write it differently and let everyone know, yes, it's me, Jesus. No, there's a specific reason. You have to understand something. The church at Thyatira was in a very cultural area, which means when I say the word cultural, there were a lot of different belief systems. In fact, there was a majority of the regular culture outside of the church in this area that believed in different gods. One god specifically, and it was the Greek god named Apollos. Apollos was known as the sun, S-U-N, God. There is some parallels to the people worshiping the sun God versus the son of God. Number one, Apollos was known to be the son of Zeus, the eternal God. It's interesting that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Apollos was the son of Zeus. Apollos was also known to be the God of light. Isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ came to bring the light into the world? And so Jesus Christ speaks these words into John, and John writes them and says, Hey, make no mistake, this letter to the church is from the Son of God, not the S-U-N of God, but the actual Son of God. And by the way, this God has the power who have eyes to see like flames of fire. And theologians will tell you what was he meaning by this. It means this. There is no amount of darkness, no place where anybody can hide. There's no place within a person's heart that I cannot see. And so I have almighty power, more power than any God you can imagine, think, or anything. I'm the Son of God, and I see all things. I also have feet that are like polished bronze, which means this, that I have also come to stamp out all evil and all that which is not right. My feet have the power to do such a thing. Now you might say, well, gosh, boy, he led that off really, really, really strong. Why is that? Let me tell you a little about Thyatira. Thyatira was also made up of individuals that yes, they loved the Lord. And I'm going to explain that in just a little bit, but they also had a lot of trade guilds in this area. Now, you have heard in history about trade guilds. You've heard about that here in in our country. A trade guild was a group of laborers, a group of individuals that had a specific practice. And many times they were side by side. They were working together. And in order to improve their conditions, in order to improve their life, they would gather together, speak together, because they shared similarities. Well, these were very prominent in biblical times, especially in Thyatira. You had many different guilds. You had textile guilds. You had silversmith guilds. You had all different kinds that were gathered together. They, in fact, in biblical times, they didn't call them guilds. They called them collegias, collegias, and they're found within scripture. Some of you might say, well, Terry, where do we have a history of this? For you Bible study students, we mentioned the first letter was from, to the church of Ephesus. Ephesus was a place where a guy by the name of Paul preached. He was one of our famous Christians. And Paul was almost killed, thrown in prison because of a collegia. Do you remember reading for Bible study students? If not, I'll tell you the story. Where Paul preached the message that said there is only one God. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of the God. He's Jesus Christ. And you are to worship Him. You are not to worship idols made by hand. You are to worship the Son of God. Well, guess what? The silversmiths, they didn't like that very much. Because guess what silversmiths did? They made idols by their hands. And so if you were a part of the guild, the collegia, that made all of these idols, and you got a guy over here saying, you need to stop buying idols made by hands, and you need to worship the one true God, they rioted. And you actually read in Scripture where the silversmiths rioted and tried everything they could to get rid of Paul. They were very powerful. And very influential. And what ended up happening is in the church at Thyatira, there was a battle going on between culture and between what is true. And Jesus is about to speak right into it. But before Jesus has this complaint, he's going to have an encouragement. Let's take a look here. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love. I've seen your faith, your service, your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. If you like making marks in your Bible or if you take notes with your iPad, you need to circle the word constant improvement. If there was ever a place in Scripture where you can know, how do I make sure that I'm doing the right thing? How do I make sure that I'm living my faith in the right manner? How do I make sure I don't fall in the trap of cultural Christianity and I'm actually a son of God? a child of God doing what I'm supposed to do. You see in those words Jesus used, I'm so proud of your constant improvement. It means that the people of Thyatira were not guilty of just religious activity. You see, there's a lot of Christians that can go to Bible study every single week, that can go to Wednesday nights every single week, can be in the church every day that the doors are open and still live a sin-filled life. It's not your religious activity that brings you closer to God. It's your heart. And what Jesus spoke to was the people of Thyatira were not guilty of religious activity. They actually every day tried to think upon what Christ would call them to do, to love him and to love others, and every day tried to influence others, to sacrificially give to love without expecting anything in return. So Jesus was applauding the fact that they were living their lives the way that Christ would call them to in their hearts. Now, some of you might say, well, that's me. I do that all the time. But let me ask you a question. In the past week, I want you to take religious activity out. So you you can't check church off the list. You can't check Wednesday night off the list, youth group, none of that. Check it off. And I want to ask you a question. In the past six days, what have you done to show constant improvement in your faith? What have you done to sacrificially build a relationship, invest in someone else, do something expecting nothing in return, to say to God, I am here for a purpose and I have a place in this community and I have a purpose for life and I need to every day constantly improve my faith. It's a lot harder, isn't it? When we think in those terms. So my point here for Thyatira is you had a group of individuals who got it, but Jesus has a complaint. And it's very startling for you and me because for those of us who feel as if, you know what, I think I'm doing that. I think every day I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to learn more, grow more, and and activate my faith. For those of us like this, Jesus has a warning for you and I. Take a look at this, verse 20. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent. But she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Jesus all of a sudden says, all right, Christians, constantly improving. Here's my complaint. You are permitting a Jezebel in your life. Now, who's Jezebel? Jesus wasn't actually talking about the Jezebel. Those of you that know Bible history, you know of a name called Jezebel. This is not the Jezebel that he was actually talking about. This is a symbol. There is a woman in the church of Thyatira and he symbolized her by calling her a Jezebel. For those of you who say, well, who is Jezebel, Terry? Jezebel was married to a guy by the name of King Ahab and Jezebel's sole purpose was to do everything she could to influence the Israelites, the people of God, to turn and to worship other things besides their God. She wanted them to worship Baal and Asherah, which were two gods that were prominent in history. She did everything she could to influence Ahab and others to lead the people astray. And so therefore, she went down in history as one of the wickedest ladies in biblical history. That's why you don't necessarily hear the name Jezebel much on the top 10 list of kid names, not a good one to go, okay? But I want you to see something. He says, Jezebel, there's a Jezebel in your church, and that Jezebel is teaching wrong things. But I love this about Jesus. And this is where it hurts sometimes for those of us that are Christians. Because isn't it true that right away we're going to say, oh, yeah, we've got to watch out for those Jezebels. Yep, that Jezebel, see, that, that it's them, it's all on them. It's so their fault absolutely. But Jesus didn't just talk about Jezebel's. What did he say? He said, you are permitting, you're permitting, you have the responsibility to permit or not to permit, and you're permitting her to influence you. How was Jezebel at that time influencing? It's very simple and pay really close attention because there are some tie-ins to today. You see, it was very, very simple. They had a group of silversmiths in one of the collegias, one of the trade guilds, And they would make idols. And all of a sudden, what Jezebel would do would try to teach the church this. Hey, it's okay to buy an idol from the silversmiths. Now we know who God is, but it's okay to buy this idol because you got to understand it's also important for us to love God and to love others. And if you buy an idol from a silversmith, you support their family. Because if we didn't buy any of these idols, they would starve and their families would starve. And that wouldn't be loving, would it? We would need to love with the love of Christ. So go ahead and buy their idols. And it's okay, by the way, to put the idol in your home. Just, you know, if you don't believe in it, that's fine. But it's culture. Everyone has an idol in their home. It's okay to put the idols in your home. You can leave them up there. You know what? If your kids see them and everything else, I mean, what all the other kids are doing it. It's okay. So go ahead and do that. And it, you can continue to live a Christian life. And Jesus was speaking against that because he was saying, no, 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 that Jezebel is taking Roman culture That is not scriptural, not biblical. In fact, leads you to believe things you shouldn't believe and is trying to tell you that it's okay to intermingle and to have this a part of your home. And that is not truth. That is lies. So you have a Jezebel. Let me give you a definition of permit. Permitting is to give authorization or consent to someone to do something. That's the definition in the world today of permit. I have a different definition for permit and this is what it is, to give authorization or consent to someone to make something better. That if you're a Christian, in my life and in your life, you are never to permit anybody access to your life to make your life worse. There are teenagers, middle schoolers, and I have a word for you, You are never to permit anyone to speak lies into your life to tell you you're not worthy, not pretty enough, not special enough. That is allowing a Jezebel to speak lies into your life. Instead, you are to remember you are never to permit anybody access to your life that is going to make your life worse. That you choose, like Christ said, you have the authority to permit or not to permit. And you don't permit that. Instead, you permit others to come into your life and to tell you you are worthy. You're a child of God. You have unique abilities and talents. And you could do all things through an incredible God who gives you strength. That's the kind of permit that you're to give. Because this was happening not only here in this time period, but it was happening back then. I think there are Jezebels all over the place, and sometimes we don't look hard enough. Here are some places that you might have a Jezebel. I think there are some Jezebels in our workplaces. How so? If you've ever gone to work, and you find yourself in a conversation or doing something that you would never do in front of your spouse, never say in front of your spouse, or say or do in front of your kids if you live a different life at work than you do at your home, you might be listening to a Jezebel. School. We see it all the time, and I just spoke about it. Some of you have them at home. And it's very, very difficult. Because all of a sudden, when you are away from home, you live a life that tries to honor Christ. But for some reason, when you come back to home, and it could be a personality, it could be tradition, it could be a lot of things you find it difficult to stand and to speak what you know is true and not allow the Jezebels to lead you into despair. Some of you have best friends that are Jezebels. If you've ever said this, I know, but you know what, that's how they've been and that's how they're always going to be. And if you stand there and you listen to them and you ignore lies or actions that are not truth and you do nothing, you're listening to a Jezebel and you're allowing a Jezebel to be in your life. Some of us have moms, dads, brothers, sisters who are Jezebels. Some of us are Jezebels ourselves. Some of you might say, well, Terry, I'm confused. What's a Jezebel? By definition, Jezebel is anybody who tries to have one foot on truth and then try to live their life in such a way where they can do what they want to do And then justify it together. Some of us sometimes become Jezebels. There's also Jezebels in an unlikely place in church. And I would tell you this beware of Jezebels in churches. And I can even define them, and you'll know this. I define this leaders in a church that are to do the right thing are not here to influence people to be happy. If you are in a church, and not just our church, in any church, and you've never had a disagreement or a conflict with a leader, then they're probably a Jezebel. Because the truth is, unless you're Jesus Christ, you're not perfect. And there's going to come a place where you have an idea, a thought, an action that is not right. Right? And so a leader, they are trained. They are supposed to always go back to truth. And sometimes if you say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, sin, a leader is supposed to put their arm around you, love on you, and say, brother, sister, I love you, but you know what? This was not right. You know what? You shouldn't say this. You know what? That action wasn't appropriate. That's what leaders are supposed to do. Sometimes you have Jezebels in churches who might come right alongside and join you in inappropriate and wrong behavior. And that's not right. I say this, we are here to influence others and ourselves to health. That's what a leader does in a church. There are Jezebels sometimes in churches. Now, what's the danger? Because some of you are saying, well, Terry, let me be honest. I'm not perfect. I love Jesus. I'm I'm making myself better. And yeah, I got my foot over here. And yeah, I got some things that I like to do. And you know what? What's the harm? I mean, what could go wrong if if I'm a little bit of a Jezebel or I have Jezebels in my life? What's wrong if I open my heart and I listen to them? I mean, nothing wrong can happen. Well, let me go ahead and echo what Jesus Christ says specifically will happen to Jezebels. Take a look. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. Now, if you really break that down, here's what this means. It means this. Let me break it down. And by the way, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you're sitting in here, you're like, I, I knew it. God is an evil God with a magnifying glass. He wants to burn us like ants. No, 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 no. This is where you have to understand context, because let me explain what Christ is really saying through this. Because remember what I said earlier. Jesus Himself said, I gave Jezebel an opportunity to what? Repent. I gave her time. I'm a patient God. I want her to be a child of God and do the right things. And so I've given her every opportunity to do the right thing. But now she is not listening, not doing the right thing, and she's leading my other children down the wrong path. And I can't have that. So I will throw her on a bed of suffering, which means this. If you're a Jezebel or you know a Jezebel and you hang around a Jezebel, here's what's going to happen. You're going to do something that's not right and it won't hurt. You're going to do something that's not right and it won't hurt. You're going to all of a sudden do something and it hurts a little. And you're like, oh, wait, whoa. That's called a consequence. And that's a warning shot to say you need to turn. You need to stop because it's going to get worse. You're going to suffer greater. And, but you continue to go and it gets worse. And you, more suffering happens. More consequence happens. Until it comes to a point to which you get what you deserve. And I continue on, he says this, I will strike her children dead. Now we don't like that in scripture. We like buzzing right past those words. But do you know what happens if you don't listen to truth? And if you make mistake after mistake after mistake, it leads to spiritual death. It leads to a place of suffering. And there's a definition of death if you really look at it, and it goes like this. Death is this, not getting better, getting worse, decaying. So my question to some of you is, are you on a path where consequences have come and you're ignoring them, where Jezebels are in your life and you don't care, and all of a sudden you're continuing to walk and continuing to walk, and all of a sudden what you could have in your life, a life of hope, a life of influence, is no longer there and instead in the wake behind you you see a trail of death death of a job death of a relationship death of responsibilities Christ is calling out to you and saying how much do you have to die before you stop listening to the Jezebels let me illustrate this another way back in about 2006 right before Connor was born we were in Fort Lauderdale, Florida and a hurricane by the name of Wilma came crashing through Fort Lauderdale we had a condo at that time, and we had a big bank of windows, and during the front part of the hurricane, it was stood. And like Hurricane Matthew here in Myrtle Beach, the backside came through, and when the backside came through, a full bank of our condo windows, as I'm holding on for dear life, which was not smart at all, should have listened, I'm holding on to this bank of windows, hoping they hang on, and the wind gust just sucked them right out of the house, out of my hand, into the parking lot, and we had no windows. We hunkered down in the back uh, corner of the condo, and I remember at that point saying, "This is it. I am not messing around. We're buying hurricane windows. We're going to get them. I I can't deal with this." So a couple years later, we went ahead and we engaged some contractors, and we said, "Hey, you know, bid them out." And we hired one individual from window company to put in new hurricane windows for a house. And what we did is we opened up a building permit. This is a building permit. Some of you who can't see it, it's a building permit. We opened it up. Which basically said, we permit you to come into our lives, our home, and to make our windows better. We permit you to do that. They came in about a week later. They bought the windows. They went in. They began to hoist them up. I'll never forget it. They were putting them in place. They were hammering in place. And they got, in one day, they got most of the job done. They just had to come back and they had to finish the job. They had to kind of seal things and everything else like that. The next day came, they didn't show up. The next came, came, they didn't show up. The next week came, they didn't show up. They get on the phone. Oh, we'll be there tomorrow. Didn't come. Didn't come, didn't come, didn't come, didn't come. Next thing I know, I can't get a hold of them. So I got a half done job in my house. I got windows there, but they're not complete. Well, time goes on because they were sealed pretty much. I mean, there weren't any worse for wear and life just kept going on until seven years later, a church by the name of Ocean View called me to be their pastor to which then we've got to move. So I went in and we started getting all the documents together and everything else. And all of a sudden, the realtor and and the mortgage company said, Hey, do you realize you have an open permit on your place? What? Yeah, something about a window job. Did you ever close out that permit? I said, No. I said, not a problem. I'll get on it right away. So we went ahead and we found another window guy and we said, look, can you come in? can you look at it? Can you finish the job? He, he was a friend. He said, yeah, I'll come in. He came in, he looked, he goes, well, the job actually looks good. So we had his guys come and about two hours later, they sealed it up and everything. It was like, great, we'll hire the inspection. Had the inspection come and I kid you not, here's what the inspector said. He looked at it and he walked away and he said, well, Terry, he says, um, I got some good news and I got some bad news. He said, job is pretty well done. He said, you know he said, if if you would have called me six years ago, I could have closed this out. He said, but you didn't. And you didn't finish it back then. You kind of got stuck. He said, you didn't improve anything. But we have, like code. And our codes have changed. And all of the screws that they use to put your new windows in are no longer up to code. So you have to replace and take out every window and put them back in with new screws. It's a shame if you wouldn't have got stuck, you'd have been done. We had to hire someone to come in and redo every single window just to close out the permit. Here's my point. There are many of you that are stuck. You've got an open permit in your life, and you're not paying attention, but there are Jezebels that are speaking in or you've become a Jezebel. And there's a danger when that happens. There are consequences when that happens. Time will go on and you won't even realize. I want you to write this down. An open permit has the power to change your life. You decide whether it's for the better or for the worse. Are you permitting Christ to be in your life, to fill you and every day, constantly trying to better your faith? Or are you opening a permit for the Jezebels in your life, your workplace, your home to speak in and say, it's okay, you don't need to worry about that. Everyone else does it. You can get away. God's not really caring about all that. Are you allowing those words to permeate your heart to where you're stuck? Because Jesus says, beware. There's a bed of suffering for those that allow the Jezebels to speak. Now, before you say, well, on Mother's Day, what a pick-me-up message, let me encourage you is for those of you who say today, Terry, you know what? I've become a Jezebel. Or Terry, you know what? I'm allowing Jezebels in my life and I need to constantly improve. I need to get better. Let me tell you what Christ has to say to those of you that would choose every day to fight. Take a look at this. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths, as they call them, deaths of Satan, actually. That's what they call them, deeper truths. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. Do you want a word for those of you who sit there and look at other people in business, get ahead because you're not doing bad practices. Do you want to feel as if God's left you behind because you're not sacrificing your faith for betterment of finances? Christ has a message for you. Hold tightly. I don't expect you to do anything else, but hold tightly. Because if you do, to all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, then I will give authority to you over all nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. In other words, if you hold tightly, I will raise you up up above your peers. You're in business and you think you're going to fall backwards. You need to hold tight because I will raise you up. And you will be an influence to other businesses and practices. And I will do incredible things that you won't be able to explain. But if you hold tight, don't listen to the Jezebels of this world. To all of us, here's the truth. It's time to open a permit on God's love. It's time to open a permit on God's word. It's time to open a, a permit on truth. It's time to open a permit on friends that will build you for the better. It's time to open a permit Close out a permit on the Jezebels. It's time to tell the negative influences that they're not allowed on our property. It's time to start building. For those that hold tightly, you will build an incredible life. I close with this. I open this up by saying in the church of Bethlehem, it's dark, it's gloomy, it's not a fun place to visit. But guess what happened a few years ago? A group of the leaders of the church gathered together, which is a miracle by any stretch, to say, We need to better this place. So they reached out to other denominations, other organizations, and they opened up a permit on the church in Bethlehem. And the permit was to make it better, to restore it. And so in the last few years, they've begun restoration work in this church. I walked into this church with our group and one of the leaders or one of the people that had been there before, I grabbed him and I threw an interpreter. I asked him this question. I said, um, I looked at one of the places that they were restoring and I said, did you replace any of this? And they said, no, this is the original. Let me show you a picture of the church a few years ago before they started restoration. You can see how dark And you can see the black on the ceilings and how dark this wall is from soot from all the candles. It is a gloomy place. In fact, you see the pillars. Take a look at the pillars. Look at the pillars from the bottom all the way to the top. Everywhere about a quarter of the way up and up is covered in black soot. The bottoms, you would think, they're orange. They're probably a beautiful orange marble that are just amazing. Here's the truth. Those pillars are not orange. This is the top of one of the restored pillars, It is white. Every one of those columns are magnificently gleaming white as could be. They've been covered, covered for hundreds of years because no one was permitted to make them better. I walked around and I looked at one of the walls and I said, did they just install this? And they said, no, this was where it was all black. We didn't know it was under there. And all of a sudden you look and there are beautiful, colorful, sparkling mosaics depicting pictures of the biblical event in which people saw. And then I walked around to another wall that was covered up and a gentleman opens it up so we can see and take a look at the gold mosaic scattered all over the wall. Gold white, majestic. All of a sudden, the people in this church gathered together and said, we are going to permit someone to come into our life and make us better. And now I look forward to going back because in the next few years, people are going to come to this church and And instead of an experience where they walk in and it's doom and gloom and negative, they're going to walk into one of the most gleaming, shining sights they've ever seen, which matches the majestic nature of Christ. It's time to permit Christ to fill and permeate your life, to say no to the Jezebels, to take a stand on what is right, so that you can be just as shining as that church in Bethlehem. Let's pray. Father, I pray for families in this room. I pray, Father, for husbands and wives, for mothers, for daughters, for fathers, for sons. I pray, God, that today, as you have already spoke to their heart and during this message, you have brought a name, a face, a thought, to their minds. And that's how you work. You speak and you call out the Jezebels. And God, it's on us. Are we going to permit you to fill our hearts, to give us the strength and the courage to stand and hold tight and to fight against that which is wrong? Or are we going to ignore and are we going to continue to walk down a path of consequence? God, I pray that each person in this room takes seriously your warning. I pray instead of us being dark and gloomy, that we would shine like a city on a hill and that we would be known by you as individuals who are constantly improving, seeking truth to influence others, to tell them of your great love and story. Father, today may it be a declaration of our hearts. That we will no longer permit the Jezebels to reign in our lives. We love you, Lord, and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Oceanview, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.